You're listening to Stream of Conscience, Beckett's Religious Liberty Podcast. Today's episode is Conviction and Confinement. I'm Hannah Smith, Senior Counsel at Beckett. And I'm Katie Geary, a Beckett Fellow. Today, we bring you a story that takes us from an Arkansas state prison to the United States Supreme Court. It's about the conflicts that arise when prison protocol demands one thing, but a prisoner's faith requires another. Specifically, a beard. It all comes down to this. When you go to prison, what rights remain yours? It's a simple enough question, but the answer is surprisingly complicated. In 2009, Gregory Holt was convicted of aggravated residential burglary and first-degree domestic battery. He was given a life sentence, which he is currently serving in an Arkansas state prison. But we're not talking about Holt's crime or sentence today. Not because it's trivial, it's not but because for our purposes, it actually doesn't matter. Our purpose being the protection of religious liberty. When it comes to a prisoner's rights, it's not a question of guilt. It's not even about how terrible a crime was committed. In other words, it's not about the past life, it's about the present life, the life behind bars. Holt had actually been to prison one time before. While in prison, Holt converted to Islam. So he follows a specific school of Sunni Islam, and part of that Sunni practice includes growing a beard. The problem is, once he got to prison for his life sentence, the Arkansas Correction Department said, no, you can't grow a beard. They didn't have any reasons. They said no because... They didn't want their authority questioned. That's Doug Laycock, one of the nation's leading authorities on the law of religious liberty and a professor at the University of Virginia School of Law. We worked with Doug on Mr. Holt's case at the United States Supreme Court. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we talk about the Supreme Court, we need to talk about prisoners' rights. We all know that prisoners give up many of their civil liberties when they go to jail. Simply put, they're incarcerated. So necessarily, that means they don't have the freedom to go where they wish and they have to follow prison rules and regulations. But it's not a total abandonment of rights. When it comes to fundamental rights, like religious exercise, it's a little more complicated. In other words, the prisoners retain their First Amendment rights, but to the extent that it doesn't interfere with them being prisoners. Sounds simple, right? Yes, but in reality, not so simple. The prison authorities assume they have absolute power. They can assume they can just do anything. And defending prisoners' rights, not always popular, because... Why would you defend somebody in prison? And the typical reaction is, if you've done the crime, you got to do the time. And if you wanted to practice your religion, you shouldn't have committed a crime in the first place. That's Luke Goodrich, vice president and senior counsel at Beckett. So why, why should we care about religious freedom for prisoners at all? And I like to tell people there's a good reason, a better reason, and a best reason. Uh, The good reason that we care about religious freedom for prisoners is that it's good policy. It's smart. Uh, The studies have shown that if you allow prisoners to exercise their faith in prison, they're less likely to be violent in prison, and they're also less likely to commit crimes when they're released. So protecting religious freedom for prisoners uh, actually makes us safer as a society. So that's a good reason for protecting religious freedom for prisoners. The better reason for protecting religious freedom for prisoners is that 
all of our religious freedom rights are linked together. And if the government can arbitrarily take away religious freedom from prisoners in the prison context, it can arbitrarily take away religious freedom for us outside the prison context. Uh, they seem entirely unrelated, but even if you think about rights for prisoners, they're also linked to uh, the right of religious freedom in the military. Because soldiers, when they're stationed overseas, the, the military is controlling almost all aspects of their daily life. And if the, if the military didn't have chaplains, then soldiers couldn't exercise their faith when they're out on the battlefield. It's kind of the same thing in prison. Uh, the government's controlling all your life, and if the government doesn't create opportunities to exercise your faith, prisoners can't exercise their faith either. The best reason to protect religious freedom for prisoners is that it's part of what it means to treat people as a human being. All of us, prisoners or not, we all have a thirst for the transcendent, for the true, the good, and the beautiful, and that's part of what makes us human. And when the government takes away our ability to seek transcendent truth, it's violating a fundamental human right, and it's treating us as less than fully human. So for the same reason we don't uh, inflict cruel and unusual punishment on prisoners. Uh, we don't arbitrarily take away their ability to exercise their faith in prison. And so prisoners lose a lot of their rights, and rightly so, when they go to prison, uh, but they don't lose their humanity. And that's where this case, Holt against Hobbes, comes in. Now remember Holt wanted to grow a beard as part of his Sunni religious practice. The Arkansas prison wardens wouldn't let him, so he decided to file a lawsuit. And in fairness to the lawyer who represented the state, she had no reason in the world to imagine this case was going to wind up in the Supreme Court, right? So Holt comes in. They set it for a preliminary injunction hearing. He comes in pro se. He's representing himself. Pro se means without a lawyer. Right. So at first he was just on his own. And the state, the prison system, well, they gave their argument. They, they really didn't have a reason. But the reasons they said were he could hide something in it. He could disguise his appearance by shaving it off. We don't know how to measure half an inch. They, they really said that under oath. How do we keep it down to half an inch? Uh, and... We can't make any exceptions for anybody because that irritates the other prisoners. Those were the four reasons that they articulated in the hearing. But if Holt was representing himself, where did Beckett and Doug Laycock come in? Yeah, so in 2011, Holt's case first went to a federal trial court, the one Doug described, and he lost. So he appealed that decision, again representing himself, and he brought his case to the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Where he lost again. At this point, I think most people would have given up, but not Holt. He planned to ask the U.S. Supreme Court to hear his appeal. And while he was preparing his handwritten petition, he asked the Supreme Court to stay the Eighth Circuit's decision. My guess is that it got noticed because Justice Alito is assigned to the Eighth Circuit. It mattered that it was Justice Alito because... Alito, when he was on the Third Circuit in Philadelphia, had written an opinion about a police department rule that said police officers could have a beard for medical reasons but not for religious reasons. And he'd said that was unconstitutional. So Justice Alito's case on the Third Circuit was really very similar to what was going on here in Arkansas with Holt. The Arkansas prison system allowed beards for medical reasons, but still wouldn't allow Holt his religious beard. 
So Holt had asked the Supreme Court to take up his case, but he also asked them to order that he could keep his beard while they were considering whether or not to take it. Right. And that's when religious liberty advocates caught wind of the case. The Supreme Court issues what's called the order list, which is just a list of everything they've done. And and for the most part, it's just a long list of case names that say, in the following cases, certiorari denied. But it also includes the cases where they do more than that. And so in this case, a little two-sentence order appears, and it's enough to tell what the case is about. And it says, you know, he, he's allowed to keep this half-inch beard. And um, religious liberty lawyers saw that order on the order list. That, that's how the case first came to public attention. So here was an opportunity to confirm the scope of an act passed in the early 90s, the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. And if you don't want to say that five times fast, you can just call it Arlupa. This is when Doug Laycock and Beckett stepped in to represent Holt. I filed a supplemental brief on the petition for review, and I said, he told you there's a circuit split. He's right, there really is. A circuit split means that federal courts of appeals have come to different conclusions on similar cases. It's the kind of thing that often leads to the Supreme Court taking on a case to clarify the federal law at issue. And I said he's now represented by a lawyer. We filed our brief, and then the state of Arkansas filed theirs in response. They had every reason to be overconfident. There was no reason in the world to think we were going to get the court to take this case and win it. So after all the briefs were in, briefs to the court that were asking the court to take the case, all we could do was wait to see if they would actually hear it. And to put a timeline on this, Holt had his first federal court trial in 2011. By the time he appealed to the Supreme Court, it was 2013. In March 2014, the Supreme Court announced that it would hear his case. We mentioned our lupa. This collection of letters was sort of the foundation of Holt's rights. Well, the foundation of his rights is something beyond even the Constitution or a federal statute. Human beings have rights that are inherent and self-evident. But legally speaking, our lupa was going to be the foundation of his case. Our lupa had a history. Well, it's a long and complicated story. But it begins with Employment Division versus Smith um, saying the Free Exercise Clause no longer protects the actual practice of religion. You don't get an exemption from a neutral law that that interferes with your religious exercise. The Supreme Court's 1990 decision in Employment Division against Smith was really a game changer. It completely altered the court's test for free exercise claims, and it did so without any briefing by the parties on what that new rule should be. Well, needless to say, everyone was shocked. Congress was angry. So with a lot of bipartisan involvement, Congress reacted. Congress responded with the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which created a statutory right. Statutory, meaning coming from a legislative action. To substitute for what had previously been a constitutional right. At first, RIFRA seemed like the perfect fix, until the Supreme Court ruled in another case that RIFRA didn't apply to the states because of constitutional limits on Congress's power to pass RIFRA in the first place. And not to get in too deep before we go back to Holt, but basically Congress had to respond. So they ended up getting together another act to try to protect religious liberty as much as they could. And this act was about religious land use and prisoners. Land use and prisoners are, are linked in the sense that the government has a lot of control and discretion over both. In prison, the government controls your entire life. 
in land use, the government through its zoning laws uh, controls how you're able to use your land. The way prisoners got included in this bill is pretty great. It came down to a ministry group, an evangelical organization called Prison Fellowship. Prison Fellowship lobbied for Arlupa heavily, and ultimately their efforts were successful in getting prisoners to be part of this bill. Congress passed it unanimously. And President Clinton signed it into law. So now there was a statutory protection for prisoners' religious exercise, which was a very good thing for Holt. Well, legally speaking, Hannah, what did Arlupa mean for Holt? Arlupa demanded strict scrutiny for prisoners' religious liberty. And strict scrutiny is the most demanding legal test known in constitutional law. And it means that the state had to give some very compelling reasons why forbidding Holt's religious beard was necessary. The day of oral arguments came, and the state's arguments weren't very strong. And may it please the court... Arkansas's security objectives are undermined by the petitioner's half-inch beard because he could use it to alter his appearance, thwart identification, and conceal contraband in our maximum security prison's unique environment. That was the lawyer arguing for the state. And the justices, well, you know, they seemed skeptical. Prison security is obviously very important, but the justices probed whether the state could accomplish their interests in other ways without burdening this religious exercise. On whether the prisoner could use his beard to alter his appearance or thwart identification, the justices just kept saying things like, well, isn't it possible to take photos of inmates with and without a beard so you can tell who they are regardless? But where argument actually got nearly comical was the question of concealing contraband. The prison had said, listen, prisoners could hide tiny dangerous things in their half-inch beard. But Justice Alito, he just wasn't buying it. As far as searching a beard is concerned, why can't the prison just give the uh, inmate a comb? You could develop whatever kind of comb you want and say, comb your beard. And if there's anything in there, if there's a SIM card in there or a a revolver or anything else you think (laughs) can be hidden in a half-inch beard, a tiny revolver, it'll fall out. There was another point that Doug made. Forty other prison systems permit beards without a length limit, yet Arkansas prohibits even half an inch. This fact just showed that the Arkansas prison officials hadn't done their homework. They didn't research their peer organizations to learn that these sorts of accommodations are possible. They had a lot of experience, but they had no expertise. Um, And it turned out that 41 or 44, depending on how you counted, other prison systems would have permitted this beard. Mr. Holt didn't know about all 44 of them, but he knew about several of them, and he asked them about it, and they had never heard of this. They didn't know that other prison systems permitted beards and that other prison systems hadn't had any problem with it. To put it differently, if 40 other states can find a way to maintain prison security and allow beards for religious reasons and you can't, maybe you're doing it wrong. Suffice it to say, once this case got to the Supreme Court, the state side really fell apart. And there was this one argument from the state, too, that was problematic. So during the whole process of preparing for trial, the state had included evidence taken from another case. And in it, they had a prison official on the record saying that a prisoner had committed suicide using a razor that he'd hidden in his beard. This was a big deal. But we found out actually through a press representative for the prison, no less, that the razor the prisoner was using was given to him by the prison itself. You know, and we had somehow missed the fact that they issue thousands of orange Bic razors to the prison population, and then they claim to be afraid that someone will smuggle a razor blade in his beard. 
So we told the court that this evidence the state was using was just simply wrong. It didn't come up in oral arguments, but I can't help but think that it didn't help the state either. In January 2015, the decision came down. The court ruled in Holt's favor. It was a unanimous opinion, and it completely rejected the state's justifications for denying his religious practice. The prison has also failed to explain why it cannot allow petitioner to grow a short beard for religious reasons, but it can allow other inmates to grow one-quarter inch beards for medical reasons. Nor has it adequately explained why it cannot allow inmates to grow a short beard for religious reasons, even though the vast majority of the states and the federal government allow inmates to grow such beards either for religious reason or for any other reason. In concrete, immediate terms, this meant Holt could now grow his beard. He had won. But this decision meant much more than that. I think it will mean more than that for a very long time. It will push back against prison officials' ability to arbitrarily deny a whole host of religious exercise in prison. It'll affect the holdout jurisdictions on, on beards and grooming rules. It'll affect the holdout jurisdictions on kosher food and halal food. It will help in um, these cases of two different groups of Christians or two different groups of Muslims who want separate services. Uh, it'll help in the religious literature cases. It makes a huge difference whether judges believe they are obliged to take this claim seriously or whether they believe they're free uh, to disregard it. And, and I think Holt Hobbs marks that transition. But I'd say the even bigger impact of Holt is this is a nine to zero Supreme Court decision saying we as a country have to take religious freedom seriously for everyone. And if we have to take religious freedom seriously for a Muslim in prisoner who wants to grow a beard, that means we have to take religious freedom seriously for the little sisters of the poor, for the Green family in Hobby Lobby, and for many, many cases down the road. So in that sense, Holt is a decision that's going to keep on giving. It may give to a Muslim prisoner today, but it's going to give to all of us for many years to come. Thank you to Professor Doug Laycock for granting us an interview for this episode. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty is a nonprofit public interest law firm dedicated to defending religious liberty for all. For more information on this case, our work, and stream of conscience, visit our website at beckettlaw.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Music in this episode by Eric McNerney and Blue Dot Sessions. This is Hannah Smith and Katie Geary. Thanks for joining us.